Um, as we were praying and we were thinking of America and maybe this country as well, um, that Jerry Lee Lewis um, title of his, one of his songs, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. There is, isn't there? There's a whole lot of shaking going on. And, uh, you know, shaking is good, isn't it? Because it shakes you out of lethargy. If any of you um, uh, like sleeping and like being in bed, and teenagers generally do, sometimes you need shaking, don't you, to actually... Does anyone... Well, we do need shaking, don't we? And the church needs shaking. The world needs shaking out of its complacency. And, you know, as much as you, 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 you like or you dislike what's happened in America... There was a, a, a political elite there that had been in place for so long that was holding power and uh, had, had got distance from the people and in this country as well. And that's why we got, we got Brexit. They, people were out of touch. And so there's a, the only way in a democracy that you can do anything is, is protest. And a protest vote. And God allows this. He allows us to be shaken. And uh, to uh, that New Testament verse, wake up, O sleeper, or you sleeper. You know, it's, it's really, that, that should be the, the preface of, of every preach, shouldn't it? Wake up, you sleeper. Yeah? Because we do. We, we tend to lethargy. Yeah? We tend to comfort. We tend to ease. We like the way things are, and as soon as they get there's as the threat of change, we're all. Well, if you walk with Jesus, I think you're committed to change, aren't you? You're committed to Him. Keep saying, "Come on, Ian. Come on, Ian. Walk with me. Come on, Ian. Out of that that comfortable place." And the, the, the greatest way, this is nothing to do with what I want to talk about, <laughs> the greatest way that he does that, sorry, this isn't a pre-war, you know, I, I, I'll say this and I'll, I'll, I'll squash everything else up, so don't worry. Um, uh, the, the greatest way that he shakes us up is with his word. His word comes and causes change. His word comes and cause disquiet within me. His work comes and wants me to reach up for something I've yet to attain. His word comes to let go of things that I shouldn't be carrying. Attitudes, thoughts, fears. His word comes to stir us up. His word comes to lift us up. To see him high and exalted. To see him out, out of the commonplace of life. He comes and transforms. That we can be different. We were having a conversation in the car and we were talking about, in fact, about our children and that really we shouldn't be Jesus to them. They need their own Jesus. They need to go to Jesus rather than us. And I thought, hmm, yeah, it's true. But we need to be like Jesus to them. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's why we change. And uh, if, there's a, if there's a title to what I want to say, it's, you know, it's all the, the song titles here. Dream the impossible dream. Yeah. 
Because if you don't dream the impossible dream, you're never going to want to reach it. Amen? The impossible dream. That's above and beyond you, but consistent with God's word. If you accept anything less, then that's what you will receive. And I want to aspire, you know, even now, when uh, I want to aspire to great things that are beyond me. And I hope you do too. And, uh, you know, God's word is not, we always talk about how to do church. How should church operate? How does church, it's not, it's not that, is it? It's about how to follow Christ. That's what it's about. Church is a consequence of following Christ. Hey, did Jesus first say, do you come follow me? Or did he say, come and do church? He said, come follow me, didn't he? So are we in for following Jesus this morning? Amen? Amen. Yeah? I'd love to be like Paul, says, you know, come follow me as I follow Christ. Before I I do that, I I just wanted one little little plug. Um, Please pray for us tomorrow. We we go to prison every Monday afternoon, and uh, Carl and I take a a course there, and... um, it is really, really tough. I think we both come out, sort of wrung out, washed out, and every other out you can be when we finish. It's three hours with a, a group of men and uh, talking about really deep and profound stuff. And uh, just to, to, to hear their stories and their, their background is, I don't know, it can sometimes really be heavy upon us. And so please pray for us. But the other thing is that I'm... I'm, I'm I'm going with a friend to the Democratic Republic of Congo to take some missions over there. Um, some way it, it, it scares me because we have been to Kinshasa many times, but now we're, we're, we're going to Kinshasa for a week. And then before that, there's a week in a place called Kindu, which I've never been to before. That's 1,100 miles into the interior, almost in East um, Congo, near Burundi. And... Uh, there, the pastor I work with, there's some churches and they've got open-air crusades there and uh, some church work and then I come back to take a pastor's conference and some more open-air crusades. And, uh, you know, I know who I am, but I'm not a, a Billy Graham and a Reinhardt Bonnke. Um, but I'm asked to be a bit like that, you know, to, to stand up and you see maybe 4,000 people in the open air that have come and want something from God. They don't want something from a white man. They need something from God. And you feel your own inadequacy. You feel your own frailty. And uh, you see that this sea of faces. And uh, there's only one way, and that's to call on God, me, that he might that he might give me something to give to them. So please pray for me. But part of that, some friends of ours have arranged a charity lunch on Tuesday, February the 14th at 12 o'clock. There's some, are they by the door? There's some of these little leaflets there. 
And uh, if you if you are, can go there between 12 and 2, there's a lunch, which is carrot and vegetable soup, chicken salad or brioche bun or ham and cheese on brioche bun, um, banana cake and pear tartlet with cream. Isn't that good? Isn't that mouth-wateringly good? There's a fundraiser for... Um, you, two people for £15 or one person for £10 um, for the people in the Democratic Republic of Congo because every time I go there's always you meet people in great need yeah and uh, it's lovely to, to offer them help it's nothing to do with the costs of going or anything like that you got a Bible could you turn to to Matthew chapter 5 this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount it's all about the character of Christ and therefore the character of a Christian and uh, that's the Beatitudes and then it goes on to say how that's worked out what does that mean in everyday life and in practical ways, for me to live this life of Christ here on earth. And uh, Jesus repeatedly after that expands it, what it means. And uh, he lifts the bar above the law. He says, it is written, the Torah, that the, that the, the Jewish people would live by, the instruction, the commandments of God. But he say it is written, it is written that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say, even if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. It is written that you shouldn't commit murder. But I, I, but I say, even if you, have, you hate someone, that you've committed murder. And so, the heart of the Sermon of the Mount, some have said of these verses that we are about to read, right, right, that, right the, the middle of it, when he talks about love. About love and about being perfect. And after that, because it's such a whopping great ask, because we're going to see about loving your enemies, he says, well, let me, let me tell you about prayer. Because what he's telling us to do is impossible. So if we, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Remember that little phrase, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemy. Who's, who's your enemy? Well, you could, you could try and define it in lots of ways. 
I think your enemy is someone who tries to prevent you enjoying the freedom that God wants you to have. Who encroaches upon the will of God. Who maybe hates you. And it's important to separate what a person has done and the person themselves. You can dislike the character of someone, but you can love their soul. And you can seek redemption for that person. But that in no way condones sin. Carl and I, when we go in prison and we have these times of um, quite intimate conversations with them and uh, you get to know what they've done and you can discern something about the person they've become, it's really, really important not to judge them as a person but in no way condone sin. We, we, we operate with them. Sometimes they're, they're prisoners that are being kept separate, vulnerable prisoners, because of their crime that they've committed, um, which could be anything, but they're in danger of being in the general uh, flow of prison life, so they're kept separate. And, uh, you know, it's important that, that somehow we don't just sit in judgment over them. They've been judged. Most of them have been found guilty. That's right. That's what the law of the land's there for. Now they're receiving their punishment. But God wants their redemption. And if all I can do is stay in judgment over them, and I can't love them, I can't reach them with Christ. And this started by saying, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Hey, someone's changed the word of God somewhere. I know it doesn't say it is written here, but it's almost saying the same, that people are saying it is okay to love your neighbour and hate your enemy, as though that is somewhere enshrined in the word of God. It's not. The word of God has been changed by people saying that. And if you repeat something long enough, people believe it. Love is a universal law. All the law and the prophets are summed up in this one commandment, that you love God. And it's, uh, it's associate that you love one another. You can try and narrow the word of God to suit you or me. So we've got a lot of exemptions, like it's a legal document, principle to love, but there's these exceptions. If it's a paedophile, you do not love. If it's someone that, that stole you from you, you do not love. If it's someone who, who maligns you, you do not love. It gives you a whole host of exceptions that are reasons for us not to fulfil the high calling of God. It's even perverse. Not only are you not to love them, but you can, you can hate them. I was challenged to look in this word of God and see if there was anything that gave me any cause to hate anyone. 
any justification from God and I couldn't find it. It's a great ask, this. Not to cease to hate, but to love. Not just to stop ceasing to hate someone and just be neutral, but to love them. To render blessing rather than cursing. To be praying for those that are against you or persecute you. This is the mark of being a Christian. It's seen in Christ. When Peter, in his defense of Jesus, cut off the ear of of Malchus' servant, an enemy that was coming to take him captive, he restored his ear. And the cry on the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, his enemies. He's looking at them. He's looking at maybe those that physically nailed him to a cross. He's looking at his disciples who stood afar and had scattered. He's thinking of Herod and Pilate. It was seen in Stephen's face as he was being stoned and he had a face as of the appearance of an angel. Not the hatred and gnashing of teeth that was confronting him as people cruelly hurled stones at him. And he repeated Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. This is the essence of being a Christian that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that when you do that, you become like God. You become like your Father. God-like children of the Father. This is the high calling of God to you and me, that the things that we harbour, we must harbour no longer. We must let them go, even this morning. God does not have favourites. He has a special people that he will use to bless all nations. But they are not a favourite. They are people that were chosen for a purpose. God has no favourites. The sun rises on the evil and the good. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so that's a big, a big thing, especially about church, of not showing favoritism. Not having our own cliques and closed groups where we're shutting off people to be an open, bless you. Yeah? You only get one of those. Yeah. To be an open community. He says everyone can love those who reward you or love you. And he raises the bar. He says even the pagans are like that. Even the world is like that. 
You give something to someone and, and show them some sort of privilege and they'll, they'll think kindly of you and, and warm towards you. You buy their favour. Verse 40, 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just greet your brother. Our fellowship is all within the church. We love one another, hallelujah, it's wonderful. This is a place of healing, wholeness, love and, uh, and togetherness, of encouragement. But when we become parochial and introverted, as a people we've turned our back on a world, come ye out from among them sort of philosophy, when God says go ye into the world, the church must face out. It's not just to greet its brothers. And then as I read this, it, it, I've preached on this, this out of context, about how we were to be holy as he is holy. He says be perfect or be holy, NIV says be perfect. Because you're made perfect in love. That's what he's meaning. As you love your enemy, as your love is beyond favoritism and prejudice, you are being made perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Christ died for every sinner in this world on that cruel, rugged cross. Everyone. And as we love, we tend towards perfection. Hallelujah. That's how we do it. There's nothing magical, mystical. As we love in this way, we tend towards the perfection of God. We imitate God. And then, because we're being obedient... We're obeying his command, his great and, and wonderful command. His spirit floods into us that we can do just what he asked us to. To live out the impossible dream of loving those who are our enemy. To, um, does love flow from character or does character flow from love? I think it's a chicken and an egg. They both depend upon one another. But my character grows in my willingness to love. It says that the Bible teaches me to abound in love. It's the litmus test of me being like my father. The degree to which I can love. 1 Corinthians 13.2 If you have faith to move mountains, hallelujah. That have not love. I am nothing. We need a definition of nothing to understand this. 
faith to move a mountain, but I've got no, haven't got love. I am, it says, I am nothing. The consequent, the the the, the corollary of that is that if I'm full of love, then I am something. I'm a child of God. If I give all that I have to the poor, but have not love, I gain nothing. How do we do this? Well, we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and just own up. It's impossible. It's impossible in my own strength to do this. If it was possible in my own strength, I wouldn't have needed Jesus to die for me. I would not need the gift of the Holy Spirit. And to receive God's love so that that which I receive, because the Bible teaches me that I was dead in my sin and, and transgression. I was at enmity with God. I was an enemy of God before I was found. I receive that same love into my life and begin willfully to forgive people. It takes um, it takes a lot of effort. Not to love, but it takes more effort to be at, at enmity with someone. To have bad thoughts about them. To lick our wounds. To think how to get even. To be bitter. To everything, to something goes wrong, to someone who's hurt you, you think, oh, they deserve that. Almost in a perverse way, saying, thank you, God. That they've got their comeuppance. You know what their comeuppance is? It's to be loved by you. And do not judge people. I'll go back to, to Carl and I with our experiences in prison. Yes, some of these things are awful. Some of what they've done are terrible. You cannot believe it. But you cannot believe their backstory either. How they've ended up where they are. And what happened in their life. We're working with a young man who's... Um, uh, his, um, I think his, his father was a stepfather was an alcoholic. He didn't know his, his mum because she died early. And... Uh, he got into smoking cannabis early at school and, and no, one has, no one had ever told him anything of value about his life. No one had told him he was of value. No one had told him he was, he, he was loved. No one. He's never been told that. No one has put their arm around him and said, I believe in you. No one seems to have, uh, well, in, in his own head. And he went through 30 foster parents between the ages of 12 and 16. Because he misbehaved every time, because he felt he was rubbish, he acted like rubbish and caused them in the end to, to, to kick him out and therefore he said, yeah, it's right. No one likes me. I'm of no value. He wants someone to love him unconditionally, just as God does. You need someone to love you unconditionally, just as God does. 
1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. God's love has covered a multitude of my sins in the blood of Jesus. It's that story that Carol often mentions, but in Genesis 9.23, after the flood, there's no... Um, went into the winemaking business, got himself a vineyard and uh, he um, overindulged with the first fruits and got desperately drunk and went into a cave and uh, lay there naked. And uh, Shem and Japheth, after Ham had gone in there and said, ah, exposed his father's shame to his brother's. his nakedness and his drunkenness Shem and Japheth got a cloak and walked in backwards so they didn't see their father and they covered him with their cloak they covered his shame and they didn't judge him but as sons they loved him walked backward and covered their father's naked body their faces were turned away so they would not see their father's nakedness will we cover others shame or will we expose it will we turn away or say tell me more that I may gossip This is desperately true. This, uh, that's why that, that people would say this is the centre of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the most important thing. I had an elder in my church who I don't know. We, uh, I, I thought that we we got on well together, and uh, we had a, um, agreed a way forward, and. Publicly, he stood up and uh, in church and said things that he'd never ever shared with me. He'd never spoken to me about his issue that he had with me, but chose to speak it in front of church, and it caused a terrible, terrible ruction from someone who was my friend, most there and then became my enemy, and. God gave me so much grace it's not me not to react and yet to love him and his wife and then they are they left the church but they're our friends we'll eat with them he's a great supporter when I, I, I go abroad he helps us because somehow I found the capacity not to react or judge but to love there are two people that stayed in our, our home one when we first got married and one I don't know about eight years ago and they stayed in our home we had opened our door because they were needy and uh, they both stole from us money one case quite a lot and the other we don't know how much but it was there was money that was 
disappearing. And because God gave us grace, today they're both their friends. You know, it's, this message works. Why maintain enemies when you can make friends? Why do we do it? Why don't we be like our Father in heaven? See, when we decide to love, the power of God comes upon us. When we make that decision, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love those that offend me. And God says, great, you're loved with my love now because I'm giving it to you. And God will heal our hearts and heal our hurts. And though we're giving something to someone, something amazing happens in our life. And we are set gloriously free to be the people God wants us to be. May that be for his glory. Amen? Can I pray? Perhaps for a moment you just think in your own heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit would show you if there's anyone in your life whom you don't, maybe you don't even hate them, but you've, you've just, you've, you've written them off. You've cancelled them. You no longer feel that you want to pray for them. You feel that somehow they've got to come and beg your forgiveness for what they've done to you before you can begin to love them. You don't condone what they've done. You don't say what was wrong was right. But you allow God's love to come and influence your life for the good. Father, Father, help us fulfill this amazing command that we must love our enemies. And Lord, grant that in the days ahead you'll show us ways to express this. And Father, that our hearts may be liberated. We say, come Holy Spirit now and fill our lives that the love of God may abide within us may live and find its course in our life for your glory. Amen. May God bless you all. Thank you so much.